Hello, folks. Welcome back. My name's Nolan Ruby. This is the On Being Christian Podcast, and the On Being Christian Podcast is a ministry of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church here in Salt Lake City, Utah, so named for the Wasatch Mountains, which I am looking at now, and what a beautiful, beautiful day it is. We've had some rain, and whenever we have some rain here in the valley, it pulls some of those things out of the sky, and the mountains literally look like they're in high definition. It is absolutely beautiful. We have no snow in the mountains yet, but here where I have our church building, the space where we're meeting for church, um, just within sight out of the window of my office is a guy that owns a ski shop, and he is back and ready to go. And so I'm guessing that he knows something I don't know. We have a lot of snow that hits the mountains long before it hits the valleys, and we have people getting ready to go up there and begin their winter of sports. And so more power to him. Uh, I don't do any of that anymore. My knees have been through more than I care to remember. And one of the things that I have learned, especially on skis, is that if your knees are not incredibly in agreement with your mind, and your mind is not incredibly particularly uh, expert level about what the snow is going to do, those knees can go one way and the other. And long story short, it's not for me anymore. I say all that to say what I'm looking right now, what I'm looking at right now is absolutely beautiful. I never tire, folks. I hope you're the same way. I never tire of looking at the hand of God in creation. It's absolutely beautiful to see his hand at work, um, to see his signature on this creation. It's very humbling. Anyway, we are in Matthew chapter 5. This is podcast number 36 of the On Being Christian podcast. I'm so glad that you chose to listen today. I very much enjoy this platform, enjoy getting to spend time with you. I've had a lot of feedback, uh, specifically over the last couple ones, um, whether it's through calls to the office or emails, and I appreciate that. I do. If you need to get a hold of me, it's wasatchfrontbaptistchurch.com. That's www.wasatch, and the word front baptistchurch.com. And then under the drop-down link, you can get a hold of me on my email address that comes directly to my office here or my number directly to my office as well. I'd love to chat with you. love to visit with you. I hope these are being a blessing. I'm going to try to do something today, which is going to finish our study out of Matthew chapter 5. We've been in this for a good little bit, and today I want to look at the eighth and ninth things concerning the Beatitudes. Specifically, we're going to look at they which are persecuted, and then we're going to look at simply the idea of ye, or you, to wrap up this study in Matthew chapter 5. I hope it's been helpful to you. It's been fun for me. But just to get started, let's go ahead and read our text verses, and then we'll take a look at what the Bible says about uh, where we're going specifically. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed 
are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake? Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. We're going to finish up this study by looking at verse 10 through verse 12. Let's start in verse 10 and define some terms. The Bible says, Blessed are they which are persecuted. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The word persecuted here is a word that means to flee, to be ensued, or to suffer for a cause. Now, I want you to notice that the Bible doesn't say this without defining the cause for which the suffering is taking place. It goes on to say, blessed are the persecuted, and then it says, for righteousness' sake. Righteousness is a word that means equity of character, specifically Christian justification. And so in other words, just as we begin this look at the first part of this study, Blessed are they which are persecuted, or they which are uh, chased, fleed, those who suffer, those who are, are ensued. They, blessed are they for righteousness' sake. In other words, if I'm persecuted for being stupid, that's not necessarily what the Bible's talking about. But if I'm persecuted, or if I'm chased, or ensued, or I suffer for the cause of righteousness, then I have the reward here which says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that's what the uh, eighth characteristic out of Matthew chapter 5 concerning the Beatitudes is all about. They which are persecuted. Specifically, they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. They who do good and the ungood world who sees it judges them for their action. As the Bible says it's good, but the corrupt world we live in says it's evil, okay? It is not those who flee for cause of their own ignorant deeds, but rather those who are made to flee for the cause of standing for the Lord. Sometimes we do things in our life that cause us to have just repercussions for our dumb actions, and then we go to the Lord and say, oh, I'm being persecuted, because I'm a Christian and I'm being persecuted. No, you're not a Christ, you're not being Christian. You're not being persecuted because of Christian action. You're being persecuted justly because of stupid action. Being Christian has nothing to do with it. On the other hand, if I am persecuted by a fallen world for the cause of God, for righteousness' sake, the Bible says this is a blessed thing. A couple books, if you are at all a reader that I would anticipate you have probably already heard about. One is, is of course, um, the great classic work, Fox's Book of Martyrs, and it's a book about people who, for the cause of righteousness, were not only persecuted, but they lost their lives. They were martyred. The other book, which is significantly uh, larger in its scope, is called the Book of Martyrs, or the Mirror, the Martyr's Mirror, excuse me, the Martyr's Mirror. And that is one that's going to go through and show you what people who have accepted Christ as their Savior and chose to live for them, excuse me, chose to live for him, have gone through for his name. They wouldn't recant on their love 
for God. They wouldn't put it down. And as a result of that, as a reward of that, this fallen world killed them, tortured them to death in many cases. And so what we're going to be talking about is that idea of persecution. It's not for any reason under the sun, but very specifically for the reason of righteousness. The 1828 American Webster's Dictionary describes the word persecuted as this, harassed by trouble or punishments unjustly inflicted, particularly for religious opinion. So particularly or specifically for religious opinion, I am harassed and troubled and punished unjustly. These things are inflicted because of the stand that I take, not for the actions that I have done. That's what the Bible says, and that's what is referenced when we're talking about Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now let's look at some of the other things the Bible has to say about this idea. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we will read 16 through 19 to get a better idea about what we're talking about concerning persecution. Um, Let's see here, 2 Corinthians 4, and then 16 through 19. The Bible says here, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. This starts off a very simple phrase. It says, for our light affliction. Affliction here is a word that means pressure or anguish, trouble, burdened anguish upon the shoulders of the bearer. Interesting. Our light affliction. Paul is writing this letter to the church at Corinth, and he describes the things that he was going through as light affliction. I don't know if you know anything about Paul, but he talks about some of the things that he went through In fact, if you back it up to chapter 4 and verse 8, it says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. And then he goes on to talk about these things as light affliction. In other words, some of the most horrible things that people could go through, physically speaking, Paul is defining as light. Why? Because they're not eternal. They're not eternal. They're temporary things that a temporary world can do for you or do to you for just a very temporary amount of time, a very temporal amount of time. It's not going to be everlasting. And Paul, when he looked at that, said, this is not not the end of it. This is just the cause of doing righteousness, and for that, this is light. This is nothing. 
This is nothing. And so blessed are the persecuted for righteousness' sake, not for any other sake. If you stay kind of in these Pauline letters, we'll go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 11 here. 2 Timothy 2.11 says this. I'll read from 11 down through verse 13. The Bible says, it is, it is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. It says we suffer with him, and then it goes on to say we reign with him. In other words, this, this thought of suffering for him is tied directly to being accepted by him, reigning with him, being in the kingdom of heaven. These two things are not separate. So Paul understood this when he said this, and I'm asking you and I to understand it. I know it's difficult, but it's true. The sufferings you go through for the sake of Christ are the very things that are going to give you a place and a reward in heaven. They're inseparably linked in that way. They may not be, and they are not, fun or pleasant in this temporary time. But as we go home to be with our Lord and Savior forever, these are the things that God will say, this is blessed, because there it was difficult. But here, it reaps great rewards and the reward very well may be just one more soul who, through your testimony of salvation and your refusal to, uh, to walk away from God, saw their own need for a Savior and accepted Him on their own behalf. This is the value of persecution. If you go down to 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, And we'll look at 10 through 12, 1 Peter chapter 3, and then 10 through 12. The Bible says here, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Look what it says there. Eschew evil. Seek peace. They which are persecuted. Folks, the, the very clear picture here develops as I'm looking at this. My job, if I'm persecuted, the natural human response is to seek retribution. But if I eschew that, if I skew that, if I, if I push that feeling away, that seeking of retribution, if I suffer for the sake of Christ, suffer is a word that means to stay under that, um, that burden, to remain there, to have the fortitude to preserve and endure patiently, to abide until the Lord takes you out. If I do that, and one of the ways the Bible says to do it is by eschewing evil, which is eschew is just simply a word that means to deviate or to decline, to avoid it. If I, if I brush aside my natural human responses to being under burden, and I instead 
thank the Lord for the worthiness that he has sought me um, worthy of or for the blessings he sought me worthy of by letting me walk through these hard trials. It'll change the way I view persecution. It'll change the way I think about it. This is an interesting thought because you and I, nobody ever goes to the Lord and says, Lord, you know what I need? I'm going to pray that you would let me experience more persecution. (laughs) That's never been a prayer that anyone that I have ever prayed with has uttered. In fact, if I was sitting there and they were praying and they said, Lord, I pray that you would persecute me more, I would really think about getting up and leaving. But here's something that I have said myself and heard other people say with me in prayer, Lord, I'm in need of patience. Please teach me patience. And I always thought, okay, be careful, because the Lord answers those prayers. And what is one of the things more than anything else that teaches patience? Well, it's going through something unjustly, being persecuted for the cause of not doing anything wrong. <laughs> See, we like to say that when we're persecuted for doing things wrong, that, you know, it's some kind of Christian success story. But in reality, exactly, it's exactly the opposite. When I'm under the gun for my own stupid actions, I should just keep my mouth shut and take it and say thank you to the Lord for not letting it be worse. But when I'm under the gun, when I'm under pressure for doing what's right, for following the righteousness of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there is no just cause for this other than that God saw it fit for me to go through it, which makes it, which makes it all the justness, which gives it all the just attributes that it needs. Okay, so if I'm going through something for the sake of the Lord, Lord saw worthy or saw me uh, worthy to go through this. Then what is the point? What is the what is the takeaway from my perspective? If I'm under persecution, my my job as a Christian is to take it with thanksgiving, because sometimes the Lord lets you go through things so that other people who wouldn't survive what you're going through can watch you and then watch you praise the Lord through the thick of it. And come to you afterwards and say, what's different about you? Persecuted. Persecuted. The Bible says over in Galatians, think it not strange that some form of this persecution, and I'm paraphrasing, some evil things come upon you. If I'm claiming the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm living my life by the doctrines of the Word of God, then I'm going to face, uh, I'm face resistance. I'm going to face pushback that may be in the negative, that may be in the positive, that may be passively, that may be incredibly aggressively, but it will be under the definition of the word burden or persecution. The Bible says, blessed are they who are persecuted for righteousness sake. It's not a bad thing, folks. It's a good thing. It's a good thing because through my endurance by the grace of God, through persecution, that very well may be that one thing that, that that person who's watching you has needed to see in order for them to accept the reality that they need Christ. If you go over to Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8 and verse 18, the Bible says here, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The sufferings of this present time. If we were to take the sufferings of this present time, 
package them up and hold them in the light of what is coming, I think we would understand very, very thoroughly that no matter what you and I go through on this planet, no matter what you and I go through, which we may or may not correctly define as persecution, no matter what that is, it's going to be far less in severity than the glory of God will be in the everlasting presence of his son, Jesus Christ. It'll be so far and above, worth all that we could have ever asked or thought or lived through on this earth. Persecution may be one of those things the Lord wants to use to grow us. Persecution may be one of those things the Lord wants to use to draw others to the cause of Christ. The point is it doesn't really matter why we're in it. What matters is how we handle it. And if it's for the sake of God and for righteousness and we handle it with patience and mercy and grace, then God will get the glory, however that is defined. When we change our focus to the glory which is promised by the Lord to those who love him, what do we really have to fret about in this life? If it's all for the glory and grace and mercy of God, if that's the reason for everything, then what do we really have to fret about in this life? Ladies and gentlemen, the answer is nothing. Because the end is going to far surpass the temporary means which we lived in before we were with him forever or before we are, are, are with him forever. So blessed are the persecuted, the Bible says in Matthew chapter Five. I'm going to go back there, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10. Blessed um, uh, are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's interesting, we've gone through nine, or excuse me, eight of these things, and the Bible talks about the fact, Matthew chapter uh, 5, Matthew chapter 6, and Matthew chapter 7 is what's called the Sermon on the Mount. The Lord addresses his apostles throughout this time. What's interesting to me is that he starts off his Sermon on the Mount by addressing them in these nine ways, and all of these things are exactly the opposite of human nature. They're all the opposite of what we would do if we hadn't accepted Christ. And so we would look at and define persecution as the worst possible thing for us to go through, and the Bible defines it as perhaps one of the most gracious and blessed things that God would ever let us go through. It goes on, the thought carries on, and this is the ninth thing. In verse 11, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. You would see then how chapter 10 and chapter 11 go together. It says, blessed are ye. And the very final thing as we look at Matthew chapter 5 is this very personal world word, ye. Talking about you personally. Blessed are ye when the Lord, work what it says, when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. When you go through these things, as true and as unjust as all of it is, the Bible says you're blessed because you're going through it for the sake of the Lord. A couple of words that we used here, one of the words is revile. Revile is a word that means to defame, to rail and chide and taunt. To upbraid, which means to charge and impute with something wrong and disgraceful unjustly. You ever had someone just 
My mother used to have a phrase, quit chewing on him, which was that same idea. She was from Pascagoula, Mississippi. And you get to chewing on somebody. That was just that you're just reviling them. It's just over. It's like a it's like a train. It's just coming and coming and coming and coming. And the Lord says, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you. They just come at you and come at you and come at you. The Lord says, Blessed are ye. When you're doing it for my sake, that's blessed. He goes on to say, and persecute you. We define that word to flee and to be ensued. And you shall say to another, persecute you, and ye shall say to another, uh, all manner of evil against you. Um, that, that phrase falsely comes up. It says they're saying all this about you, and it's false. It's not real. It's for my sake, but it's not real. Falsely is a word that means to utter untruth or attempt to deceive by lies. The Bible says that let God be true and every man a liar. And so on a macro spectrum— we are liars, but on a micro level, if I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I have the freedom through his blood, which is working effectually in my heart, to not lie. So when the Bible says they're saying all these evil things against you, and it's all false, it's not real, it's lies, blessed are ye. Folks, one of the things that I have learned, being a police chaplain and a pastor, is that lots of people have lots of opinions about what I do and say and go and where I go and how I go there and how I walk and what I wear. And I'm just constantly in a glass house and everyone has a brick. I was out with one of the officers last week, maybe it was a couple of weeks ago, and this fellow was walking by and he had a dog and I said, hello, good morning, how are you? And he didn't respond. That's fine, we just let it go. And he gave the once up and down, the elevator eyes, as it were, to the officer next to me. He was on my left. And after he walked a good 10, 15 yards away from us, he decided that he needed to have a say. So he turned around, and mind you, both this officer that I was with and myself are both combat veterans. And this guy said, you know, as a combat veteran, I think that you have way too many extra magazines on your person. Any good combat veteran knows that all they need is one extra magazine. Now, <laughs> I just take that phrase and the logic or lack of logic behind it and just throw it out the window because that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. This was what this guy wanted to do today? You just wanted to, to, to take a shot at the officer that was with me concerning how he intended to protect himself? In an environment where everyone's trying to hurt him at some level, you're going you're gonna to take exception with how he chooses to defend himself? I've been with other officers who got comments made or who had comments made about their you know, lack of professionalism in appearance, or maybe they were too professional looking. Maybe they were too sharp looking or not sharp looking enough. Maybe they were too sharp, too small, too fat, too thin, too this, too that, too aggressive, too soft. It just never ends. And in the pastorate, this is the same thing. It just never ends. Either I didn't say what I should have said or I should have said what I didn't say or I didn't preach on it long enough or I preached on it too long. I used too many verses, not enough verses. I didn't talk about this guy's sin. I did talk about this lady's sin. I made this too personal. I preached on this too long. I didn't have an invitation. I did have an invitation. The songs weren't right. This, that, that, all this. It's just never ending sometimes. And I'm not talking about that from the people here at Wasatch Front Baptist Church. We have a great group of people here. 
And I don't usually get those really simplistic, juvenile types of complaints. But in the ministry as a whole, this is the type of stuff you hear. And here's my point. What are you going to do? Are you going to chase every stray dog? Are you going to go after every false accusation? You're just going to just chew everybody out all the time? If you're going to trace down and chase down and avenge every lie that was ever told about you, then that's all you'd ever do. You'd get nothing done. So at some point, you have to decide, you, ye, you have to decide what's important to you. Is what people think important about you, or is what people think about your God more important to you? Who do you live for? Is your reputation one that you want to proclaim your own glory, or is your reputation one that's simply one who loves God? What do you want out of life? The Bible says, blessed are those who carry this burden, who take this persecution, as wrong as it is, as unjust as it is, as, as juvenile as it is, they carry it. Why? For the sake of God, not for their own sake. This is how you take wrongful treatment. This is how you take persecution. Ladies and gentlemen, you give it to God. I want to show you some verses concerning the blessings of the life lived for Christ. And then once I show you these verses, I want you to ask yourself the question, if these are the blessings of life lived for Christ, does it really matter what anyone else thinks about you? We jump down to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, 20 through 23. Let's look at what the Bible says here. Luke 6. 20 through 23, it says, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye the hungry now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the like manner did the Father unto the prophets. He said, hey, this stuff is hard, but when this type of stuff happens, rejoice, for your reward is great in heaven. Do you know why we don't often rejoice or why we find it difficult to rejoice? May I offer it's because we want our reward now. We want to live Christian and be rewarded for it now. And folks, being a Christian in a fallen world is nothing the world is going to reward you for. Concerning the blessings of life lived for Christ, let's look at a few more verses. 1 Peter chapter 2, 19 through 21, the Bible says, By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient when once the longsuffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water, the like figure whereinto even baptism doth now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is an interesting verse, First Peter 2. That's actually 1 Peter 3. Um, 
19 through 20. We'll go back and read 1 Peter 2. I wanted you to focus in on that. It sometimes we're disobedient and when once the long-suffering of God waited. We are in the phase of time where the long-suffering of God is waiting. In that phase of time, there are going to be people who are, as the Bible says, causing God's long-suffering to wait. If God can wait, can't you and I? If God's sense of righteousness can be put on hold as he gives space for repentance to those who need him, can't you and I endure the wrong for just a little bit longer? Now let's go back, 1 Peter 2, 19 through 21. The Bible says here, For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience sake toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults ye shall take a Take it patiently. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye shall take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live under the righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed, for ye were as sheep gone astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. This is the blessings of the life lived for Christ. According to this verse, surgeons be subject. It goes on to say, for hitherto were ye called. You were called to this suffering in the same way that God came to suffer for you and me. Can God who suffered for you and me not ask us to suffer for him for just a little bit, understanding that this is just temporary? We will one day go home to be with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, forever and ever and ever. If we jump over to chapter 3, 13 through 17, chapter 3, 13 through 17, the Bible says here, And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, listen to this, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you, as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. It's better for the cause of Christ that I suffer when I shouldn't be. If I'm suffering for reasons that are related directly, in other words, my suffering is just because of my actions, then the price I pay for that, or the price Christ pays for my disobedience, is the lack of power in his testimony. But if I'm suffering for the cause of righteousness, for things that I didn't do wrong, and I'm taking it patiently, and I'm committing the, the, the actions of that and the feelings of that over into the hand of the Lord, then the Bible says that's good. That's worthy. Okay? If you stay in 1 Peter, jump down to chapter 4, 12 through 6. 
The Bible says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice in so much as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. <laughs> exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you, and on their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other man's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Did you hear that? If you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. Quite the opposite of that. Glorify God on the behalf of the fact that you got to suffer for the cause of Christ, because this is how the testimony of Christ is pushed further in a fallen world. Can you be one who suffers for the cause of Christ? Or are you a Christian that, that only wants to claim the sufferings of Christ for you? Interesting question. A couple more things on this. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm just letting the Bible do a lot of the preaching of this so that we all walk away knowing exactly what the Bible says and not so much exactly what Nolan Ruby says. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 3 through 7. The Bible says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And where we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Where whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye also be of the consolation. If we're partakers of the sufferings, then we'll be partakers of the consolation. The consolation is like no thing the world has ever known. Eternity with God the Father in heaven. And so when I go through things and I'm suffering persecution on this earth, just remember the opposite side of this is eternity with God in heaven. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 11 says this, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body of, of the dying of the Lord Jesus, that, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. What a wonderful section of Scripture. Verse 9, persecuted but not forsaken, cast down but not destroyed. Folks, I want you to understand if you're being persecuted for the cause of Christ, Christ knows it. It's not hitting him as some new type of information that he wasn't aware of. 
If I'm going through persecution, it's because God's allowed me to go through persecution. And if God's allowed me to go through persecution, it's because he knew I could handle it with his grace and his mercy in my life. He's allowing me to handle it because someone needs to be brought to the saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And watching you as a Christian go through things you shouldn't be and take it with patience and joyfulness before the Lord may be the very thing that causes them to repent and ask the Lord to save them as well. The question really is, can you take the persecution of Christianity for the sake of God's witness and for the sake of God's testimony and do it with joy? The Bible says you can with God. It's impossible without him. The Christian life has been watered down for so long and from so many pulpits that the blessings that come from the sufferings of the present time have been sacrificed for calmness quote-unquote, in the now, which leads to nothing to come in the later. I'll take my peace now at the cost of peace later. Here's the key thought. Standing for something will always cause conflict in any time, not from the sources that you would have thought. If you don't want to fight for anything, then standing for nothing will get you there. But standing for something means fighting for it. And folks, the Christian life is worth fighting for. The Christian life is worth standing for. No matter what comes, take the wrongs, take the persecution, because the glory of those things will be in Christ's name. Dig your heels in, stiffen your back, put your chin up, and stand for the cause of Christ, no matter what comes. And the benefits of that are for the Lord, and the benefits beyond that for me are in a world yet to come. And I don't know what that looks like, but I know that when I'm there, I'll see him as he is, and that will be worth it all. If you go to Ephesians chapter 6 for our very last verse, Ephesians chapter 6, see if I can jump over there. I'm going to read 13 through 14, Ephesians 6, 13 through 14. Here's what the Bible says. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Uh, excuse me. They may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having the breastplate of righteousness, and it goes on to give the entirety of the armor of the Christian life. A part I want you to notice, it says, having done all to stand, that's the end of one verse, and the beginning of the next verse says, stand therefore. When you have nothing left to give, you're just scratching the service of what you have to offer. Did you hear me? Did you understand that? Ladies and gentlemen in the Christian life, when you have nothing left to give, you're just scratching the surface of what God has you to offer. I have to deplete me before I can let God do it. I have to get to the end of me before I can let God's salvation and testimony shine as a light through me. And wouldn't you know it, one of the things the Lord's going to use to get you to the end of you is persecution. Because it brings glory to his name and it makes you mature. 
You understand this in all aspects of life. You know by this point that I was a Marine. Marine Corps boot camp, especially back in 2001 when I was in, I joined before the towers fell. I was in boot camp when they fell. Boot camp, Marine Corps boot camp was a time of near continuous persecution. (laughs) Day in, day out, somebody was screaming at you to say it louder, move faster, move quicker. Get up faster, get down faster, listen more intently. Why? Well, because they were creating something. The title United States Marine is not just given to anyone. It's given to those who stood the cost and earned it. And in fact, in Marine Corps boot camp, it's one of the only places, to my understanding, this may have changed, that they don't call you by the moniker of the service until after you've earned it. And so I was called everything but a Marine for the first two and a half months of boot camp. And then those last two weeks, when I earned the title, I wore it with pride. Same thing in the world of being a Christian. It doesn't matter how you define it. It matters how God defines it. And God defines it very specifically with the Beatitudes found out of Matthew chapter 5. It talks about all these things that we would define as not good, but the Bible says it's good, persecution being one of them. Persecution for the cause of Christ being the thing and the tool that God uses to bring not only you, but those around you and those you witness to, to the cause of Christ. And so that ends our study out of Matthew chapter 5. If I want to go back and just wrap this up from the last verse, after we read verse 10, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, blessed are they which Uh, When men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. And here's the takeaway, verse 12, rejoice. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before him. Persecution's nothing new. You're just new to the party. If you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, The Christian life is one where Lord God of heaven will allow you to go through things. If you go through things with his power and by his grace, you'll come out the other end more usable, more prepared to be a Christian of higher maturity. If I reject those things, if I don't let the Lord grow me, then don't be surprised when the Lord decides there's no reason for you to be here. Folks, I love you. Thank you so much for listening to the On Being Christian podcast. This is the end of Matthew chapter 5. We're going to get involved in a couple new things as we get ready to do this next week. I want to encourage you, if you have anything that you'd like to talk to me about or reach out, it's wasatchfrontbaptistchurch.com. You can find my email and my phone number there. I'm going to pray and be dismissed, folks, and let you go, and I'll go. i got a couple things to do, and I'll see you next time. Father, thank you so much for the message and for the podcast. Thank you for loving us. Teach, you how, teach us how to love you. In Jesus' name, amen.